You guys sound good today. Am I supposed to give this to somebody? Okay, doesn't have a name on it. Uh, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Crossings. We are uh, getting close to the end of To Be Continued. Can you guys believe we've already been in this for a year? So we've been looking through the book of Acts this year because we've got some friends that are going out to plant another church. If you don't know, uh, we're a church plant, the Crossings Church Collinsville. We started a few years ago. Uh, we are part of a, a group of churches that are, tr we're trying to plant churches around the St. Louis area because church plants reach lost people more than churches that have been around a while. Beyond St. Louis, guys, we're looking at planting churches in other places. We've got friends in Oklahoma right now that are planting a church in Tulsa. We've got uh, a friend down in Gainesville, Florida that's planting a church down there. We've got a team that's going to be sent out somewhere here in the Midwest. Uh, we're choosing a location for our Wentzville congregation by the end of the year. They're going to be choosing a spot to send another team out. So we are a training team, sending them out. We thought it would be a good job for us to look at the book of Acts because the book of Acts is the history of the early church. It is the chronicling of how the church spread in the first century. It is an example for us to follow because we get to see how they function, how they were organized, how they kind of did all this missionary work and the stuff that they encountered and the problems they had. And that's one of the things that has stuck out to me in studying the book of Acts is the problems that they had. Is there a chapter that we have looked at where they have not been dealing with problems of some kind? Every single chapter in the book of Acts, the church is facing some tough stuff, some more than others. I mean, sometimes you got people like getting killed in, in, the, in the work of ministry here. We've seen several in the book of Acts that have lost their lives. We've seen several that have spent time in prison, that have endured beatings, that have gone through all this mess. And what we're about to look at today is more mess. But regardless of the mess, regardless of the trouble, regardless of the problems, in addition to the bad stuff, in the book of Acts, there's all this good stuff, isn't there? All these people coming to know Christ, all these churches that are getting started, all these people who are having their brokenness healed in Jesus Christ, but at the same time, there's all this trouble. And so we got to remember, guys, as we are a church plant that's trying to be healthy, that we're trying to reach people here in Collinsville, we're sending other church plants out to other places to reach people. We've got to remember, guys, when we're in the middle of it, there's always going to be trouble. Amen? Now, that's not an amen like we want it, right? It's just an amen if this is how, what life is. This is what it is. This is what ministry is. If you're going to have an effective church and an effective ministry, guess what you're going to have? Trouble. Why? Because we've got an enemy. Mike, go ahead and read uh, Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's out of Ephesians 6, and that is the Apostle Paul, the guy that we're going to be reading about in the story today, is actually the one who wrote that. And what he says is that we have an enemy in the world. We have an enemy. It's Satan, and it's the demons, and it's real. That is not just a myth. That's not a metaphor. There are actual persons, spiritual persons, that are powerful, that hate you and want to destroy you. Because they hate God, and they know if they destroy you, it's going to hurt Him. They really couldn't care less about you. But they want to use you to hurt God. And so they're out to get you. So our whole life, we've got, we've got an enemy. We've got trouble. We've got Satan who wants to derail us. He doesn't want us to be right with God. He doesn't want us to have joy. He doesn't want us to have fulfillment. And this whole world is out on his side to get us, to keep us from good things, right? There's gonna be problems in life because we've got these spiritual forces that are out to get us. You guys have got some notes in your bulletin if you want to pull those out. It's going to have most of the passages of scripture that we're going to look at on there. Uh, we also use these notes uh, in our small group. So um, several Sundays a month, 
we have groups that meet and we take these notes and we sit down and we, we pull them out and we say, okay, it's good to sit and listen and talk about this, but how does this make a difference in my life? And so our small groups is where we sit and we have uh, accountability where we say, hey, are we living this stuff out? That's really part of the function of the church. Uh, today, surviving spiritual storms, okay? This is a part two of part one that Jake started a couple of weeks ago to close out Acts 26. Here's where we're going to start. Okay, this is what Jake shared with you a couple of weeks ago. Surviving spiritual storms requires me to be aware that, number one, my sailing will not be smooth. Again, this is what we have seen in the book of Acts. Uh, they have been tasked with going out and sharing the gospel, planting churches, uh, making disciples, and it has not been easy work. Uh, God is going to use difficulty in their life and in our life to exhibit our devotion. See, whenever you face difficulty, it shows what you're really committed to. As soon as I made a decision to follow Jesus and I had to give up certain things in my life to do that, uh, there, there were things that tested me along the way. You know, there, was, there were things that came along where, where I was tempted to sin and, and you know, I just had to make a decision. Am I going to go back, which I was a drug addict for years and years, right? Uh, am I going to go back and hang out with my old friends and do the same old stuff that we used to do? Or am I going to try to do things a little bit differently? I had tests along the way, guys, where I had to make decisions. All of us do. And those tests are opportunities to show whether we're really committed to God or not. What's the greatest command in the whole Bible? It's to love God, right? If you don't know that already, this is a really good thing for you to learn today. The greatest command in the whole Bible, somebody came to Jesus one time and said, what's the most important thing in the whole Bible that God's ever said? Jesus said the most important command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you will get that command right, a lot of other stuff in your life will fall into place. Loving God means that what God thinks is what's most important. Loving God means that what he thinks is what matters, not what I think. It means that I need to align what I think with what he thinks. It means that if he says it's not good, I think it's not good. If he says it is good, I think it's good. If he says not to do it, I don't do it. If he says to do it, I do it. Pretty simple, right? Simple to say, hard to do, right? But that's what it is. Guys, if you love God, it's going to show up in your life. The point that I'm making is if you love God, it's going to show up in your life. There's a lot of people that say they love God, but it doesn't affect them at all. They don't attend church, they don't read the Bible, they don't try to pursue God relationally. Guys, uh, Christianity is not about rules. It's about relationship. Primarily, it's about relationship. It is about a loving relationship with you and your Father in heaven. And so because I love God, there's going to be certain stuff that I do and certain stuff that I don't do, not because it's a rule, but because I love God. And I want to honor God with my life. If you love God, it's going to show up in what you do. Your actions are going to exhibit whether you love God or not. You can say it all day. You can say you love God all day. But if you go home and you treat your family like crap and your kids like crap, or you're a liar, or uh, you, you just have this double life or whatever, okay, it's going to show up. If, if you're for real, it's going to show up. If you're not for real, it's going to show up. Right? It's going to exhibit it. Secondly, God uses difficulty to enhance my development. God uses difficulty to enhance my development. Guys, your spiritual growth, your greatest spiritual growth in your life, I guarantee you was not pleasant. Now stop and think about it. Maybe I'm wrong. I know in my life, my greatest growth was through hardship. It wasn't through pleasantness. It was through hardship. It was through going through hard stuff, sometimes because I wasn't listening to God, and I got myself into really bad situations, and then it was in that pit that I finally was able to look up and actually see God. What do they say? When you hit rock bottom, the only way you can look is up. You guys have heard that, right? There's truth to that. Every prodigal has a pig pen. You've heard that, right? There's some truth to that. If you go and, and act like a fool you're eventually going to run into a pit. That's where I found myself. Now, in the pit, this is where you will start to listen sometimes. 
This is where, uh, if you have not listened and you've had to be corrected and corrected and corrected, this is where pain is introduced. Now pain has your attention. Now you're, now you're willing to listen, right? Because the pain has been introduced. The difficulty, guys, if we respond well to difficulty, that's how you grow in life is through responding well to difficulty. If you find yourself in a horrible situation because of your behavior or your bad decisions, you find yourself in a pit, that is the time when you will be willing to listen. Often. That's how it works. And that's where the growth will happen. Thirdly, awareness allows for preparedness. All that means is, uh, it's like looking in a mirror. Why do we look in mirrors? You get up and, and it's to make changes. The point of looking in a mirror is to make changes. You get up and you got snot crusted against the left side of your face before your job interview and you wipe it off because you looked in the mirror. If you looked in the mirror and saw the snot and left it there, something's wrong. You're not using the mirror the right way, right? But we do that with the Bible. The, the Bible is meant to be like a mirror where you're holding it up and saying what needs to be adjusted? What needs to be adjusted? What needs to be changed? But some of us can, can hold up the mirror and we've got the, the snot, uh, uh, you know, and we're just, we're good with that. I, I looked in the mirror, it's okay. I checked that off my to-do list. Guys, the point of looking in the Bible is not to look in the Bible. The point of looking in the Bible is to make changes to your character in your life and to become more like Jesus. That's the point of it. If we're not looking in there and, and actually making these applications, it's going to be tough, guys. And, and Jesus promises that there's going to be trouble in life. He promises that there's going to be great joys when we follow him. He also promises for followers there's going to be great sorrows at times. He promises there's going to be great trouble, but he promises that he's going to help us deal with it. He's going to equip us to be able to deal with it. We are promised that this life, guys, and, and I'm just wrapping my mind around this, this life, from what my understanding of Scripture is, is a difficult test. For every person. Life is a difficult test. We are promised eternal blessings or eternal curses based on how we handle the test of life. But all of us, guys, all of us are promised serious temporary troubles in life. Jesus does not Hide this. He promises if you are alive and a human and on planet Earth, your life is going to be full of trouble. He promises that. Now, it doesn't mean all the time. It doesn't mean you never get any relief. It doesn't mean your life is just awful. But what Jesus says is no matter who you are, no matter how rich you are or how poor you are, or how successful or how unsuccessful or how smart or how uh, whatever, he, you're going to face major trouble in life that is going to make you want to give up. That's what he says. But it's in that trouble, guys, that God can prepare us and he can develop us and he will so long as we lean into it well. Secondly, surviving spiritual storms requires me to be aware that godly leadership will be essential. Godly leadership will be essential. What we're going to do today is uh, we're going to just walk through Acts 27 to kind of illustrate this. Uh, now, we have already, uh, up to this point, seen Paul uh, go through quite a ordeal. He is now on his way to Rome. He is uh, in the middle of uh, being tried for a crime of uh, being a troublemaker, He's had a lot of people that have tried to get him executed up to this point in the story. Guys, at this point in the book of Acts, by 27, Paul is probably physically disabled because of the beatings he has taken. He has been beaten so many times that he probably could not walk properly. He probably could not use his hands properly. Uh, his back is probably very, very covered in scar tissue. Like He would, he would be a beaten man at this point. Uh, he would bear the marks at this point in his life, and his life is still not getting any easier. 
Because now he's under trial because he was sharing his faith. He made people upset in several different cities in the Roman Empire. Uh, there were a couple of riots. The, the authorities got involved. And now Paul is being charged with being an insurrectionist and a troublemaker. Uh, and he has appealed his case to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, Paul was able to do that, which is similar to appealing to like the Supreme Court in our day. And so he's actually going to be on his way to Rome because he's going to go stand before Caesar and, and give a defense for his case. He's going to, ultimately, he's going to share the gospel with Caesar, and Caesar's not going to listen, okay? Uh, we know that from history. Caesar's going to have him killed. He's on his way to his death. But on the way, there's all this crazy stuff that happens. So um, that's where we're at in the story. Paul is about to get on a ship, and he's about to go to Rome. I want to show you what happens, okay? In Acts 27, verse 9, they're about to get on this ship, but Paul knows they should not be getting on the ship. He tells them, uh, it says, So Paul warned them, that, verse 10, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. Now, I didn't put the reference up there, um, this is actually around the holiday uh, of Yom Kippur, which in this year, that date would have been early October. Um, Paul warned them we should not be traveling, not because he had some kind of supernatural revelation from God, but because it was October, okay? And in that part of the world, about September 15th, you stop, you stop traveling on the sea. Uh, all open sea navigation ended by November because the weather was so bad in that part of the world, you didn't travel on the open sea. Nobody did uh, back then until wintertime was over because it was too dangerous. Uh, Paul had been in a few shipwrecks, okay? In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, this is not on your notes, but 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 25 and 26, should have it on the screen for you. It says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. Okay, he's been shipwrecked three times already. Have you ever been shipwrecked? I haven't either. He's done it three times. In addition to being beaten with rods and all this other stuff, um, Paul was a seasoned traveler at this point. He'd been doing this a long time at this point. He'd been doing this for years. He had probably traveled more on the sea than a lot of these guys he's with, except for maybe the sailors, right? He probably had more experience on the sea than that centurion who was given the orders to go on the ship. Paul was able to look and say, it's October. We should not be traveling. If we do this, it's going to be bad. The centurion did not listen in verse uh, 11. It says, but the centurion... Instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Let me ask you a question just to think about. Why would Paul tell them, don't travel, it's going to be a disaster? Who was Paul thinking about? He was thinking about them, right? It's going to be a disaster if we travel. It's going to, it's going to hurt a bunch of people. We shouldn't do this. But then the ship owner and, and, the, and the pilot come, and, and who are they thinking about? Who was who, who going to pay them if they didn't take the trip? Nobody. So they wanted to take the trip, right? Who were they thinking about? They were thinking about them, that paycheck they were going to get. Let's see how this goes. In verse 11, uh, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor. They sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. <coughs> the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. How does it sound like it's going? Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sardis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the wind that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. 
On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. How's it sound like it's going? That's a disaster. That's a disaster. Have you ever had somebody come and tell you, you need to change course? If you keep going the same direction, you're going to run into disaster. But you didn't listen, and you wound up in the disaster that they warned you about. You ever been in that situation? It's hard, man, whenever we get these warnings and we're told things ahead of time, and then that thing happens that we were told ahead of time and warned ahead of time. It's hard in that moment because we don't like being told we're wrong. At least I don't. I don't know anybody that does. Like, I don't know anybody when I was in elementary school and I got the red X on my paper like, I didn't hold that up. Like, look, I got a red X. Yeah, 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 yeah. That wasn't me. Wasn't you either. None of us like being told we're wrong. Right? But godly leaders provide the correction that we need. They do. Godly leaders provide the correction that we need. And guys, I know we're talking a lot about leaders today. You guys understand, we're talking about Paul. Paul was not the only leader present in the first century. You understand that, right? You understand Paul had godly leaders in his life. You understand before Paul went out on the road, uh, it's easy to read over, but Acts 9, he becomes a Christian. By Acts 10, about nine years had passed. So there's a period of about nine years where Paul, as a new believer, was with guys like Peter and the other 12. And guess what he was doing? He was learning. He had leaders in his life. He had rabbis. He had other people that taught him the scripture. Okay? He had people that poured into him. And then God is going to use him to pour into others. And this is the rhythm of the church. This is the rhythm of discipleship and disciple making. This is the way it works. It says in Acts 27 verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to set sail from Crete, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Anybody like being told I told you so? Do you think Paul is saying this just to stick it in their eye, just to poke them? No, he, he's not, this is not Paul, okay? He's not just doing an I told you so here. He is getting their attention. You want to know what I bet you they thought whenever he said this? You are absolutely right. We should have stayed home. We should have waited until after the, the dangerous season. This was stupid to try to do. You know, that's what they're thinking is you're right. You guys have got to understand, and I have got to understand, okay, if I will not listen to God, God will not protect me. And this is a hard truth. If I will not listen to God, God will not protect me. They found themselves in the middle of this horrible disaster that they could have avoided if they had listened to Paul, and now Paul's coming to him and saying, hey, if, if you had listened, we wouldn't be in this situation. Now they're going to have a choice to make. Because now they can listen. Now they can have a different attitude. Now they can do something different. Now that he's gotten their attention, now they're going to have a choice to make. And guys, the truth, though, throughout scripture is if you continually spurn God's correction, guys, there comes a limit to his patience. 
And, and I, I, I hesitate to even say that because some of you guys in here, you already struggle with feeling like you are some kind of special kind of bad. Like God loves everybody else, just not you. Like, and you're not that special, okay? Uh, God loves you, I promise. He loves you. You are not so special that he does not love you, right? Um, he loves you, and it's hard to convince people of that. And so I'm hesitant to say that his patience will even run out. But guys, the truth is it's in the Bible. I can't get up here with integrity and, and not share this. It says in, in Proverbs 1, 29 through 33, this is not on your notes, but I encourage you to take this down. Just write it down. This is wisdom speaking. Wisdom personified. What wisdom says is since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. The waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But in contrast to that, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. That passage right there, if you listen to God, he's going to take care of you. If you don't listen to God, he's going to destroy you. Welcome to church. That's not a happy message, man. But man, it's the truth. There's another one in Proverbs 29.1. Guys, this is scary. This one here, 29.1, says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Have you ever meditated on that? That, that says, man, if you're a man and God keeps putting people in your life who keep coming to you and, and men of God and women of God keep coming and saying, man, you are wasting your time. You are wasting your time chasing this other mess or you are not living right. You are not treating your wife right or your husband right or you're being a bad example for your kids or you kids. You're not honoring your parents. You know, you're, you're not being godly kids. Whatever it might be, God will put people in your life and, man, you can have person after person after person who comes to you. And guys, I'm, I'm just telling you, if you keep spurning those people that come to you, guys, there, there is a limit. There is a limit. And you need to know that. If you're breathing, there's hope. If you're breathing, there's hope. But guys, I know a lot of people who ain't breathing no more. I've got good friends of mine, man, that I've tried to reach out to, and they're dead now, and they're in hell because they were bad people. They never loved God. But man, they had people around them trying to help them and trying to teach them. But guys, eventually those breaths you're taking in are going to run out. And we need to get this business right before that. Because the Bible teaches every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You guys believe that? You know when you die, you ain't dead. When you die, you're going to go stand before God. And you're going to have to give an account of your life before God. And you don't get to stand up there with a bunch of other people. It's not going to be you with your mama and your daddy and your wife and your brother and your sister and your kid. It's going to be you and it's going to be Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, how did you spend your moments? How did you spend those breaths that I gave you? Did you listen to what I said? Did you have the values that I instilled in my people? Were you about my purpose? Were you about building the kingdom? Or was it something else? Guys, church is not a social club. We are not a potluck club. Like this is, we are, the, we are the kingdom of God. We are the warriors of light that go into this dark world where these enemies of darkness are trying to derail all the good that's happening. We are the ones that carry this ahead. We are the ones that Jesus is using. We don't have any power, but he's got it all. And he gives it to us and he tells us to go into the world and make a difference. Go into the world and make a difference. And the way we do that is just by loving God and loving people and teaching others to love God and love people. 
and there's going to be trouble along the way. There's going to be spiritual forces trying to stop you. But if you want to have the best life that you can have, if you want to have the best marriage you can have, if you want to have the best kids and the best family and the best work ethic and the best everything, learn to be a follower of Jesus Christ because he teaches you how to have the best life. And guys, again, he promises that we're going to have trouble in life. He promises it. He doesn't hide it. He promises it. But he tells us he's going to teach us how to deal with it. And he's going to give us a family, guys, where we'll be able to endure anything. The worst that can happen to us is that they can kill us, right? And then what happens? When, when, when Jesus beats death, we got nothing to worry about, man. Literally nothing to worry about. You get to be on the winning team with no worries. You just got to be on the team. So that's the question is, are you on the team? Are you on the team? Sometimes when we've blown it, especially if we've blown it and have been told, there's like this extra sense of guilt when you have been warned and you still mess up. When we've blown it, we can fall into despair. When we've blown it, uh, we can lose all hope, and hope is a powerful thing. How do you think they felt, uh, that last passage that we read in, in 21, or excuse me, uh, 20, when neither uh, sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Have you ever been there? You gave up all hope of being saved? I mean, I remember when I was younger, struggling with addictions, um, there was a really dark period uh, where my career had kind of derailed. I worked in the radio business and had gotten, gotten into drugs so bad that it was hard for me to function. Um, and so I lost several jobs and uh, horribly addicted to cocaine. And I just remember feeling like I am never going to be able to quit this. There's no way. Uh, and honestly, I don't even want to live because I have no drive. Like, I don't really want this career that I'm going after. I just, I was ready to give up. I was really ready to give up. Whenever you're right on the edge, guys, of, of giving up, That is such a critical moment for you to have voices in your life of people that can be Jesus for you. And one of the dangers of isolation, you know, whenever you get depressed uh, or into self-medication or whatever, <clears throat> one of the dangers is isolation. Because when you get into the pit of despair, you don't have any other voice to, to give you hope. And like I said, guys, hope is such a powerful thing. When hope goes away, the will to live goes away. The will to try goes away, right? You need hope. How do you think these guys on the ship felt when they're tying the ship together with ropes, hoping that it isn't shooken apart? When they can't see the sun for days because it's so dark because of the storm. When they're running out of food and water, they're starving. They haven't eaten for two weeks, right? And they're just hoping the ship holds together. Do you think they needed some hope? They despaired of life. They didn't even think they were going to be saved. They just gave up. Paul, the one that they knew was the man of God, the one who followed this heretic Jesus, the, the fake savior, that's what they thought, right? Paul's going to be the voice for them. Look at this in uh, 22. Paul says, but now, so he just told them, I told you so. We shouldn't have gone. This disaster happened. Okay, he just told them that. But now, verse 22, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God 
uh, of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar uh, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island for the last 14 days, he said. You've been in constant suspense. You've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not a single one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks. Gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and he began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were how many? 276 people on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing grain into the sea. So here's starving guys throwing grain into the sea. Did they believe what Paul said? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Paul was used by God powerfully that day. Here you have a group of 300 pagans, right? They don't listen to him. They go out and get into trouble. He gets up. You should have listened to me, but here's... Here's a new message for you. God graciously spares the lives of all those men on that ship. All of them are going to get off of that ship thinking about probably what Paul said after this experience. Guess who they're probably going to listen to now? Guess who Paul's going to tell them about? Man, you see a pattern here? You see a pattern here? Paul, I guarantee you Paul led a bunch of these guys to Christ after this experience, before he went to his death. I guarantee you he did. I know he led a bunch of the Roman soldiers that were chained to him, like keeping him prisoner. He led a bunch of those guys to Christ. They had to, they had to be chained up to him to like because that was their job. Well, now he's going to tell them about Jesus all day. So all these Romans become Christians in the first century because they're connected to Paul. Now, Paul's ultimately going to be killed shortly after this. He's going to go to Rome. He's going to be He's going to go before uh, Caesar. He's going to be beheaded in, a, in an arena. That's how Paul dies, is he's beheaded in an arena in front of cheering people because he won't stop talking about Jesus. But did that beat Paul? Where did Paul go after that? Paul got to go be with Jesus, right? And all those people that Paul led to Jesus, they got to go be with Jesus. So in the end, guys... That's the perspective that he was operating from. This life is temporary. You can throw whatever at me. Uh, if, if you kill me, great. I get to go be with God. If, I, if you leave me here, I'm just going to go tell people about God. So I'm, I'm going to be happy no matter what. They're, they're, I'm, this is how I'm going to function. That was his attitude. And that was just how he lived. But God's going to use him powerfully here, guys. And... These people needed this encouragement in this moment. And God knows when we need that encouragement. Man, it's important to have those voices in our life. The, the more storms are faced, the more spiritual leaders are going to be needed. The more storms that are faced, the more spiritual leaders are going to be needed. This is another reason the church is so important. And like super involvement in church is important. Guys, church is not about uh, just getting together on Sundays. Church, the idea of church is about relationships and family and connection more than anything. All throughout the New Testament, we see these one another passages and these each other passages. Uh, guys, the, the early church met together uh, daily in Acts. Uh, they, they met together all the time. They were together constantly sharing meals and hanging out and having fun. It wasn't just about getting together and having church services. It was about being a family and just doing life together. And that's really what we try to do here at the crossings. Um, it's not just about Sundays. It's about life. Uh, if your experience growing up in church has just been about Sundays, I want to encourage you to rethink maybe how you think about church. Here's what I would like to encourage you to do. Uh, we've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. I want to encourage you. We're going to fill this out for sure at the end, but if your idea of church has been, I come on Sundays and then I go home, I want you to pull this card out and mark on here that you'd like a personal Bible study. 
Because I would like you to get together with a couple of our church members and just sit down and look at what the Bible says about faith and about your participation in it. Because what you will find when you look in Scripture is that God's expectation of you is a lot higher than you need to go to church on Sundays. Okay, It's a lot higher than that. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are because there's a person that he created you to be that he wants to help you become in life. There is an ideal person that God has in mind for you that he wants to help you become, the person you were always meant to be. And that's a big part of what God helps us do through the church is we develop our character, we have people in our lives that help us grow, we have people that give us accountability, uh, we have people that give us love. Uh, a lot of us, this is how we get over sins we struggle with. Nearly every single man that comes in here is addicted to pornography. Nearly every single man uh, that, that comes into the church nowadays is addicted to that mess. And we've got to help people overcome it. How do we do that? We do it through largely through relationships and through guys asking each other how they're doing. There's women that struggle with that too. Drugs, you know, is another big thing. Um, we could make a list, guys. There's all kinds of stuff that people come in here struggling with. There are some things that we can struggle with that if we don't have another person that we're getting help from, we're probably not going to get better. And I'm just telling you that from personal experience. I'm also telling you it's what the Bible teaches there, there are certain things, like, unless we confess them to other people and, and ask for help, I just don't know that we'll get better. Um, and uh, super important. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, guys, I mentioned earlier that Paul was not the only leader in this story, and he's not. Um, the pattern is that when Paul goes into a city, he will typically make disciples and then he will raise up new leaders that will then be present while he's uh, off other places. So he would go into a city, he would make some friends, he would share his faith with them, he'd spend some time with them, sometimes a couple of years, and then he would help somebody grow and, and new leaders merge and then Paul would go to another city and do it again. And then he would go back and check on these communities that he had developed. Um, everywhere Paul went, he left leaders behind. Everywhere he went, he left a church behind, and there were leaders in that church that he left behind. Not everybody in that church was an upfront leader. But everybody in that church was engaged. And it's the same with us, guys. Not everybody in the church is going to be somebody that gets on a stage, but the expectation is everyone is engaged, regardless of what that might look like or what role it might be. Everyone is engaged. Paul engaged as a leader through service, and that's what we see over and over. How did Paul, whenever he would go into a city, reach a bunch of people? Well, he did it through service. He did it through just going and making himself a servant. How did Paul learn to make himself a servant for others as a leader in the church? Who do you think he learned that from? It was Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of a servant. We take communion here every Sunday. Uh, the reason we take communion here every Sunday is because Jesus asked us to. Uh, and what communion is, is it is specifically a focus on the suffering of Jesus Christ and what happened on the cross. Uh, we meditate on the fact that he bled for us. We meditate on the fact that his physical body was actually broken for us. The bread that we take represents his body that was broken. The, the juice that we take represents his blood that was spilled. And God gave us this to do weekly. Uh, this was Jesus' idea because he wants us specifically to remember that he suffered and died for us. God suffered for us. Communion is not a devotional thought. This isn't a time just to think about any passage of scripture that comes to mind. This is a time to specifically, with specificity, think about his body was broken and his blood was spilled. Okay? That's what communion is meant. Why, why would God want us to think about that every week? 
Why wouldn't he open this time up where it's just a general devotional, anything you want to think about? No, it's, he wants us to think specifically about his body that was broken and his blood that was spilled. Why? I mean, I had a, a really smart person tell me one time, he believes that God did this in this way. Think about it. He's God. He can do whatever. He can, he can come up with other ways to teach this, right? He comes up with this way. Where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my son and I'm going to allow his body to be broken and his blood to be spilled. And that's how we're going to have people make contact with this forgiveness, right? I think he did it this way because what else could God in heaven have done to convince us that he loves us? What more... Other than God making himself a man and then coming into the world that he created and then allowing his creation to mistreat him and then allowing his created creatures to kill him, what else could he have done to prove how committed he is to us? That I'm willing to go through this. I'm willing to put myself as God through this. I'm willing to allow this to happen to me just so you know how much I love you. God didn't have to do that for his own benefit. He certainly didn't do that for his own benefit. He did that for us. And that's what communion is meant. Communion, guys, when we take communion, we remember Jesus' body was broken and Jesus' blood was spilled. And here's how that should impact me. Here's how that should motivate me. What should help us serve, guys, and one of the reasons Paul was able to serve the way he was able to serve is because he was deeply connected to Jesus. And, and he was deeply impacted by the, by the uh, service of Jesus. In fact, he calls to Jesus' example as why we should serve. In Philippians 2, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Guys, servant leadership is Christ-like leadership. That's what we see Paul exhibiting, and that's what we uh, hope to carry on in the church. It's all about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, as we take communion today, help us to remember your body that was broken and your blood that was spilled, and help it to have the impact on us that it needs to have, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Lastly, um, surviving spiritual storms requires me to be aware that faithful friends enable my survival and my sanity. Faithful friends enable my survival and my sanity. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Paul was not by himself uh, in, in any of this, and that's the truth. It says in uh, um, Acts 23, 12, uh, excuse me, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting my thoughts mixed up here. Back in Acts 23, uh, Paul had been warned that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to be a witness in Jerusalem, right? And so after this, the rest of the narrative of the book is moving toward Rome, or excuse me, he's going to go to Rome. So the rest of the narrative is moving toward Rome because he's going to be held uh, on trial there. And he needed that hope, I think, because of all this mess that he was going to face. He's going to face all these beatings. He's going to face these shipwrecks. He's going to face all this garbage. And he needed something that was going to keep him uh, looking ahead and, and hopeful. In 2313, um, he needed this encouragement that he was going to go to Rome, I think, because of what was right about to happen right after this in 23, there's going to be a group of people that try to kill him. It says, the next day, Jews worked up a plot against Paul. Paul's nephew, his sister's son, overheard them plotting the ambush. He went immediately to the barracks and told Paul. And so because Paul had a family member that was able to warn him, he was able to get past this mob. He actually was able to go and enlist some Romans to... Um, give him military aid to, to basically protect him with 200 men with, with arm, like, <laughs> they, you know, they had to be armed because he was going to be attacked. 
that was able to be avoided because his nephew got involved there. And then um, you guys remember back when he got that vision that he had the guy in Macedonia that was calling to him to come to Macedonia? We, we talked through that a few weeks ago. In Acts 27, right at the beginning, it says as soon as it was decided that we should sail away to Italy, uh, Paul and some other prisoners were put in charge of a centurion named Julius of the emperor's own regiment. We embarked on a ship hailing from Adramptium, bound for the Asian ports and set sail. Among our company was Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Notice it starts out here saying we, so he's not by himself. He's got companions with him. But then he mentions this guy named Aristarchus. Uh, now, way back, this is Acts 27, where Aristarchus shows up. Way back in Acts 16 is where Paul had received that vision to go to Macedonia. This is what we looked at several weeks ago. This is not on your notes, but on the screen. In Acts 16, 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, uh, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Guys, he has a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come help me, come help me. Paul responds to that vision back in 16, goes to Macedonia, establishes a church there, makes disciples there, picks up two guys, one guy named Aristarchus and another guy named Gaius, and they become Paul's close friends, and they continue traveling with him. Guys, this is years later. By the time we get to 27, who's still with Paul? Aristarchus is there, right? Along the way, as Paul made disciples, guys, he becomes close with the people that he's working with. We see that over and over. They become like family. And they are with him through the end. Uh, the previous journey, when Paul took that journey to Macedonia, you remember that journey was hard. It was really hard. And Paul, uh, when he encountered trouble, man, he, he, he started getting desperate. And he started getting depressed because it was hard. But then what did God do for him? It says in 2 Corinthians 7, when we arrived in Macedonia, our bodies had no ease or rest, but we were oppressed in every way and afflicted at every turn, fighting, contention, fighting and contentions without, without dread and fears within, but God who comforts and encourages and refreshes and cheers the depressed and the sinking, comforted and encouraged and refreshed and cheered us by the arrival of Titus. How did Paul encourage, or how did God encourage Paul? He sent a friend to him, Titus, right? Who was Titus, by the way? Titus was somebody Paul led to Christ. But here, Titus now is going and being the source of encouragement to his mentor and leader. Like, you see that there. Um, story in the Old Testament, guys. We'll close with this today. Okay, Acts, uh, Exodus 17. This is a battle that the Israelites are engaged in. And this is that story where Moses, as long as he would hold his arms up, they would win. But when his arms would come down, they, they would start to lose on the battlefield. And so Moses has to hold his arms up, but his arms are getting tired. And so what happens when his arm starts coming down? His friends come and grab his arms and hold it up. And that's what this story is. It says in Exodus 17, Joshua and his men went out to fight the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill and as long as Moses held up the rod in his hands, this is that famous Moses rod that turned into the snake and parted the Red Sea. And I want that rod, don't you? That's like a cool rod. He's holding his rod up, right? As long as he holds up the rod in his hands, Israel was winning. But whenever he rested his arms at his side, the soldiers of Amalek were winning. Moses' arms finally became too tired to hold up the rod any longer. So Aaron and Hur rolled a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side holding up his hands until sunset. As a result, Joshua and his troops crushed the army of Amalek, putting them to the sword. That's a cool story, right? Why would God put that story in the Bible? You think he wants us to learn something? You know he doesn't just accidentally put stuff in there, right? Like there's not stuff that just slips in there. 
Like, oops, <laughs> that one was an accident. <laughs> well, that shouldn't have. No, it's in there on purpose. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for correction, rebuke, uh, training, correction, rebuke. How's it go? Teaching, correction, training, rebuking. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying. That passage in 2 Timothy. The Bible's good. Use it. Uh, listen. God puts this story in here because he wants us to learn from it. All of us at some point are either going to be somebody that needs their arms held up or we need to be the person holding up the arms. All of us in here, if we're disciples, guess what we have in our life? We have somebody that was a spiritual leader to us because you don't become a a disciple in isolation. God created uh, the idea of the church and the gospel and making disciples as a relational endeavor. The church is a family of God. The kingdom is the family of God. Family means connection. If you are not connected, guys, I want to invite you to greater connection today. If you're visiting here today and you're just kind of checking God out, I want to say, hey, welcome. Uh, you're in a good spot. We've got people that come in here with all kinds of questions. If you don't know, I'm uh, one of the evangelists here, and I was a doubter in God, and I really struggled intellectually with believing any of this stuff could be true for a long time. And so if that's where you're at, guys, it's okay. If you don't even know if there's a God, it's okay. You're in a safe place. Nobody's going to look down on you. And the thing about truth is if something is really true, it does not have to be afraid of questions. So if you're here today and you've got questions, I want you to know you're in a, you're in a place where you can ask your questions. If you think you've got offensive questions, they're not offensive. I can promise you you're not going to offend us, okay? Um, I do want to invite you to engage. If, if you are not where you're at in your life right now and you want to get better, if you want to get closer to God, if you want a greater community, if you just want to learn what it would look like to have a godly family, maybe you haven't been connected uh, and you just want to get, pull out the communication card and just indicate on there that uh, you would like greater connection. If you would like to know about our small group ministry, this is the, one of the great things about the crossings is we require small group participation for membership. The reason for that is the church is meant to be a family, and if our only experience of one another is getting together in a big group, we don't get to know anybody. But if we can make that smaller and involve living rooms and tables and meals and all that stuff, where you're sitting around looking at each other face-to-face instead of staring at the back of heads, you tend to make friends and get close with people. And so all of our church members, in addition to attending on Sunday mornings, we also attend small groups, which are gatherings in homes, usually a dozen or less, just so that we can get to know people really well. And all those groups are led by somebody that's trained, that's basically a pastor. And so that's how we make sure that everybody gets taken care of in our church is through our small group ministry. If you are not part of a small group, I would like to invite you to check it out. Uh, You can indicate that on your card. The entry point for anybody who wants to become a member of the crossings is that Bible study. And we study the Bible with everybody because we believe everybody is important. We believe that your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life. And a lot of times people can go to churches and they can join churches and they can attend for years and nobody has ever sat and opened the scriptures with them and talked about how it applies to them. And so people out there think they're saved sometimes when they're not because they're attending a church and nobody's ever taken the time just to get to know them and, and kind of find out what's going on with them. We, want to, we really want to get to know every single one of you that's here today, uh, you know, on a personal level. And so if there's anything we can do to do that, uh, we'd just like to encourage you to. Guys, if you're here today and uh, after church is over, man, I want to encourage you, take advantage of the time that we've got. Go, go have lunch with somebody. Go get to know somebody. Uh, that the best way to get to know a church is to get to know its people and just make some friends. And, um, and, and we would love for you to connect here. Uh, I'm going to pray. And then the worship team is going to come up here and they're going to sing a song. And during that song, you're going to have time to pull that card out and fill it out. After the first song, we'll sing one more song after that. And then some guys are going to come and pass baskets and you can put your card in that basket. So we'll have two songs here. Uh, Before we close, I want to draw your attention to a couple of events we have coming up. Uh, Next Sunday, uh, we're doing at 5 o'clock here a night of worship. So this is going to take the place of small groups next Sunday, unless your small group leader tells you otherwise, okay? 
I think most of the cell group leaders uh, have all said they're going to just meet up here at 5. Um, so unless your small group leader tells you otherwise, just meet here next week at 5, and that will be your small group for that day. Uh, we will also be kicking off our Christmas series uh, next Sunday. Jake's going to be preaching, and we'll be uh, doing Christmas for the next three weeks. And then the last Sunday of the year, we're going to have uh, kind of an end of the book of Acts where I'm going to walk you through what I think our church really needs to look at for the book of Acts uh, from our study for the year. And that'll be how we close our year out, and then we'll jump into 2024 after that. Uh, so a lot of exciting things happening. We are glad you're here. I'm going to pray, and then we're, uh, we're going to close today, okay? God, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for this group of people that is here. Uh, I know there are some people here, God, that are just thinking about how to have a relationship with you. There are people here that are struggling with things. There are people here that right now are sitting in that seat afraid because they know they should respond, but they're afraid because they know if they do, there's going to be things that are expected, and that's scary, God. Change can be scary. Loss of control and giving it to you can be scary. But God, it is honestly the best life. The best life is the one you're in charge of. The best life is the one where your values are central. The best life is the one where you are central. So help us to believe that and trust that. God, help us to have the best life so that we can share the best life with others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.